When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Before we start today's show, a word for our sponsors, VX3. VX3 are specialists in cricket kit, both on-field and off-field. Utilising their in-house design team, they can create your team an entirely bespoke cricket kit, including any colours, patterns or incorporating any images you desire. That's good. Mm. Your on-field cricket kit can be entirely unique to your club. Not only that, but they have a huge range of off-field and training wear in stock where they can also add your club badge. Available in 20 colours, they'll have your cricket team's colours covered. Head to vx-3.com forward slash pages forward slash cricket to find out more. We'll leave a link to that in the description for this episode. But if your cricket club is looking for kit for the upcoming season for the winter ahead, head to vx3 for sure. England win by 20 runs to put themselves in a pretty strong position for semi-final qualification at the World Cup. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today to talk about that game and a bit more from the world of cricket this week is the managing editor of Wizen.com, Ben Gardner, and the editor-in-chief of Wizen Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Mark Butcher will be joining us down the line in 20 or so minutes. Phil, England win by 20 runs, never really in doubt. Well, well, I was with New Zealand halfway through. (laughs) I may as well just get that out in the open anyway, because no doubt one of you two was going to mention it. Uh, they needed what New Zealand at one point, I think they needed 70 off six and a half overs, you know, coming down to 10 and a half, 11 at one point, Glenn Phillips going berserk, Kane Williamson sort of sitting on his back, but lurking. Uh, and Mark Wood bowled one of the great overs really in, in England's tournament history in this, in this particular format. Uh, he came in, I think he went for three. Picked up a wicket as Jimmy Neesham had just come in after Williamson had gone the previous over. I think it was the 16th over that, that Wood bowled. And it really was anyone's at that point. Um, Neesham's obviously a, you know, it's a big ball and goes quick as well. Right from the get-go, he was, he had four off his first ball, the previous over. And then Wood turned it around in the, in a, with a huge over, really. 20 runs sounds relatively comfortable. It wasn't. It really wasn't. They'd only really won the game. Uh, with maybe two and a half overs out, uh, then you could begin to relax and settle in. Um, they they held their nerve very well, I thought, after a, a an iffy middle England. Uh, and now the dust has settled. They can look to that Australia game. They will know exactly what permutations are required. No doubt you'll come to that in a bit. Um, and I think when the dust does settle on this game, they can be pretty pleased overall with how they went about it, especially with the ball and especially from... From Butler's perspective as well, right? Because it's been a long time coming, him inching out from the vast shadow of Owen Morgan. Uh, Owen Morgan's even there on the boundary, bestriding this team still. And his and his identity is obviously so wrapped up in this cricket team. But I thought Butler showed some real spark this evening. Um, 
and real balls as well to open with, with Moeen Ali, just two men out on the leg side to open with Moeen and then to bring Rashid in, I think, for the third over. I think it was Wokes went second and then Rashid in for the third over again. That shows real guts. Uh, there was one very short boundary at the Gabba as well and they'd have been naturally targeting that. He had one off-break bowler and one leg-break bowler in the first 18 deliveries of the innings. Uh, against Finn Allen and Conway, who, who who tend to climb into whoever it is. So I think Butler, can, and he's also took a great catch and batted really well. So I think it's a personal triumph for Butler, who's had a peculiarly quiet tournament up until now. Uh, and for all that you feel like they've been hanging in there, and perhaps somewhat jinxed as well by weathers and, and all kinds of permutations, I still have quite... Uh, a, a good feeling about their their prospects in this tournament, as I said a few days ago on this show. Mm. Uh, on Butler's stamp on this team, England for for so long under Morgan almost were petrified of batting first, and now it's actually become England's strength over the last year. There's one tweet I think Matt Roller put on put on Twitter today of the England scores and batting first this year are so good, and I think they've won seven out of eight under Butler batting first. Yeah, and it suits this World Cup as well, where Dew has been much less of a factor compared to last year when it was basically win the toss, chase, and actually quite often win the game, as you saw with Australia winning all their tosses and then uh, winning the tournament. Not to do down that, that triumph at all, but but there was uh, it had more of an impact then than it did last, this time. Uh, and obviously key to that is is Butler himself, who was brilliant with the bat today as well, hit a, uh, one absolutely ridiculous six off Trent Bolt, which was a Compared to good Coley, as Coley and Ralph, <laughs> uh, well, people were saying it's not as good, but there were there were echoes of that shot. Um, yeah, but I guess it's interesting it's in terms of batting first. If you were to quibble with England's performance at all, you would probably pick out two areas. There was before that bit where Phil rightly pointed out they regrouped brilliantly, and that's a massive tick in Joss Butler's uh, in his column. Uh, they lost their heads for about five or so overs, I think. So Mo and Ali spill the chance and. When he spills that and then Phillips hits, what, 40 of the next so that's 18. Such, that was such a bad job, by yeah. the way. It was... And could easily have been it for England. Yeah, it was... It, yeah, it was, it was... You could see it going down in World Cup infamy, infamy as it happened. And then as Phillips starts to motor, you're like, well, that's that's going to be front and centre in the in the post-mortems kind of thing. And then Stokes, even though he gets... It's the wicket of Williamson, which he fancied that New Zealand didn't mind losing at that point. And then he ends that 15th over with a... With a get an awful ball, sort of short and down the leg side, which just helping his way for four to get Nishim off and running. And you think at that point, right, this is real. Wheels are falling off point and then it gets back. But that that was a, a, a bad five overs. But then the other thing you'd look at was um, just how they carried on after the power play having got a good start. Um, uh, Hales, I mean, it wasn't a blistering start, but they got through it unscathed. Hales especially was sort of, was ticking, was was fine. The boundary regularly. Butler wasn't getting as much strike. Uh, so, so it'd gone a bit slower. And then, that was almost the period where you, th- that was the difference between them getting 180 and 200, I guess, because they, they sort of, it was weird. They felt like they started quite well and they finished quite well. And yet at the halfway stage, people were saying like, what's going on with things batting order? Why is it so weird? Why haven't they got as many as we thought? And they end up winning by 20. It's an, an odd sort of game where you can quibble with some things, but overall it sort of vindicates England's strategy because they could not be perfect. They can be off in bits and they can still win quite comfortably, I guess, because of, as you say, the depth of all-rounders they have. It, it was a curious innings. Uh, the two spinners, Sodi and Santner, went for a run of ball between them. Um, Lockie Ferguson went for quite a few, I think 45 from his four. Uh, but So on that, England kind of had to get 45 from those four overs, the but, way they played. Absolutely, and they absolutely did. And 
And it was an above-par score, but only just, really. Uh, and they could have got a few more. I think if they'd... Uh, th- this commitment to muscling it over the boundary is laudable up to a point, but I sometimes wonder if they, if that kind of machismo overtakes them a little bit. And Livingston plays in his way. Brooke is still finding his feet. He plays in his way. There's, there's a lot of similarities in their approach between... Uh, they're, they're kind of interchangeable almost. Um, and when you play in Australia, especially in early season pitches as well, which are a bit crabbier than you'd expect. I mean, this pitch at the Gabba here was a bit slower and, and a bit more tennis ball bounce than you'd expect in midsummer in Australia. And so it's a big ask. It's a big ask to clear the boundary when you're talking 85 yards, you know. And now, all right, Livingston did hit one 90-something, 98 metres, I think it was. But then he was out trying to do the same thing very soon afterwards. And Brooke, again, all right, six from three, people can say, all right, well, look at the strike rate right down the pipe. That's, that's fair. But then as soon as you're out, somebody else has to come in and start. Again, you saw that Stokes, who's out of form, was struggling a little bit. And I just felt like the ego takes them over a little bit towards the back end of an innings. And on a big ground like that, having a bit more nous and picking the gaps and taking two pretty much every delivery and then climbing into the to the real to the real wide one might be a slightly smarter way to go yeah I, I guess I feel sorry for for Brooke and Livingston a little bit because when they have a start like that the expectation is that they should be going at not just 10 and over but 11 12 13 for the rest of the innings so they feel like they should be hitting boundage from ball one and there's a really interesting contrast between Livingston and Brooke on one side and Stokes on the other where Stokes is open to the twos. He's a really clean ball striker, but he's actively looking to rotate the strike and find those gaps. And actually, when you get that wrong once or twice across 10 balls, that can really hit your end, your end strike rate. So I do, I do get what Livingston and Brooke are doing. And yeah, I guess Butch will say it later in the show, but it is just really difficult and probably harder than England are thinking at the moment for these proper batters who've got serious T20 pedigree to hit the ball from ball one. Yeah. And I think a lot of the criticism that people have around England is is actually that you've got really good players and you're not getting the best out of them. Right. But that might be fine because <laughs> they have just so much batting. People will, will pile in again on Stokes. And, and don't get me wrong, the binary scores over the last six weeks in this, in this format are, are troubling for sure. But he didn't do th- that much wrong today to be eight from nine or nine from eight, whatever it was. You know, he's, he's crunched one straight to the, straight into the covers and Butler gets run out. That would have gone for four if it had been a yard either side of Williamson. And they bowled really well to him. Ferguson bowled, bowled well to him right up in there in the block hole. A real jaffer to get him out, LB. He's not done that much wrong to look again like he's he's plodding and he's he's a bit stodgy. And again, he's clearly not entirely comfortable. I don't think he's entirely comfortable physically either, Stokes. He doesn't seem quite right. Um, and yet he did come in and people will say Williamson was a useful wicket for New Zealand. I didn't see it like that. Okay, he's 40 from 40, but if him and Phillips are there with an over to go, they've won the game. And we've seen we've seen Williamson. We saw him in the, the World Cup final. You saw that he, he goes at a runner ball and then expands over the last three or four. So I thought that was quite a key moment. And even though Stokes, as I say, is wrestling a bit with himself, and I think maybe, weirdly, his confidence is a bit down. Uh you see how expansive he is in test cricket right from the get-go. Well, he feels a little bit in two minds, it seems, in, in T20 cricket. That said, came in, took the wicket, and that did shift the mood a wee bit, I think. And then with Wood, as we said earlier, with that 
outstanding over to get rid of Nisham, then the game was probably theirs. That's a point uh, nicked right out of Taha Hashim's WhatsApps, isn't it? May he do his masters in peace. He showed me that he, he texted you that and you responded with one word, mate, about uh, Stokes' oh, yeah. co- confidence in, in Test career compared to his, me. He's his, me. his reticence. <laughs> in, uh, uh, no, but, do you know what? I hadn't referenced that, but clearly subliminally that had gone in. Yeah. Yeah. So the impression that I give him that I couldn't give a toss what he's saying and that he's yesterday's man, I'm clearly still channeling that beautiful human being. There you go, mate. What, one, so one thing you said about not getting the best out of players, that is sort of true, but also you don't need all 11 of your players to do lots of things to win you a game of cricket. I think you can, it, it's easy and it's an easy thing to say to look at England's scorecard and see... Stokes bang it. What is seven? Was it Milan at eight? Stokes at six. Curran seven. That's Milan it. Eight. Yeah, and think like, well, that shows that England got their balance wrong. If if you're if you're not getting the most out of those two, but I think that just that kind of misunderstands what England are doing. The other thing as well is that because they have so many all rounders, and because like you know, Cut Curran is in a team as a bowler. And he's a brilliant bowler, but he can bat. Um, you just end up like you you just might not need some players sometimes. Stokes and Milan are in the team because if England lose an early wicket or two. They need players who can come out, fight fire, build innings, lay the platform. They're kind of insurance for the openers. If the openers like bat through the first 10 overs, yeah, you don't need them. And that's that's fine because that's not what they're in the team to do. And it's good that England understand that, I think. Um, mm. like, well, I, think- I guess my, my, my gripe with that would be that do you need to have that double insurance when Hales and Butler, though brilliant T20 openers, aren't actually go for it from ball one well I think that that's so that that's fair and you can possibly question and and ball one is a difficult thing to do but especially going from it going for it when you've got that platform mm. laid that's it's not as say. if they're batting with the depth in mind as they were in Pakistan I think yes. I think mentioned it already in the pod but Matt Roller referenced in a piece in that Pakistan series that England were like a really good relay team they're passing the bat on from one guy to another and the guy was just sprinting from ball one it doesn't feel like the batting line is quite as in sync as it was a month or so ago. Yeah, that's true. But but then I I think it's 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 almost like they they're, they're more insured against a collapse now. So I guess, I guess the question as well because they have all the all rounders. You're not actually it's not like England is short in any one area. You could say if you leave out Milan in particular because Stokes offers with the ball, you could bring in a bowler. But doing the need a bowler, I would argue they probably don't at this point. You I could Moen bowled one over today, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. You, you could bring in Phil Salt, but again, like at the moment, the the those down the order aren't getting much time to bat anyway so that's it's not as if he's going to come in and do loads there so I, I kind of understand what they're doing I, I do think it's fair to say they could go because, but then even when you drill down into it like this is getting quite granular at this point but going from after the power play they score 10 in the seventh over which is sort of fine and then they have they do have two quite overs there they score three and six of the next two over not overs and then 10 off the next over so it's like you, you, you're getting two quite overs which is 12 balls you know you, you miss time a few you feel like you've sort of lost a little bit of rhythm that just kind of can happen I don't think Butler and Hales's intent lack of intent is going to be the reason that England lose a World Cup they are going to be trying to score quickly so it's it's it, it was a slightly odd innings and a slightly odd day but I think in a way it vindicated England's strategy because they were able to back that deep even when you know you promote some people they get out cheaply they still had ended it with what uh Milan running a three off the last ball you know I I have no issue with it personally I can I can see if you're arguing the toss possibly having a look at Phil Salt but for me I don't really see the value in it because there is so much power down the down the order that if you do get off to a good start as we saw today if you do it right Livingston was at four, Brooke was at five, Stokes moved down, 
Milan was forgotten about. That makes sense. There's logic to that. Moeen didn't work at three, but they brought him on against the spinners. Didn't quite work, but it made sense. Um, for me, for my understanding of Milan's role in this team is that moment when you're up against, say, Pakistan or India under lights and Boovie swinging it miles and you're chasing 135-40 on a, on a dirty pitch and a used track and it's all pressure. And it's not about your run rate. It's about can you consolidate for that first six, seven, eight overs. And that, to me, is where he comes into his own. That's, that's my understanding of Milan in this team, in this tournament. And if, it, if he has no kind of tournament and barely gets a hit, then so be it. But if, if you get into a semi-final and it's as I describe, then you want a player like him, I think, at three. And then, then you can work around that kind of solidity. Mm. Weirdly, I think that, yeah, I think the team is probably right given the squadding they have. But the current double insurance of Stokes and Milan might have already cost England their semi-final place. England might, we'll get to permutations later, but if England don't qualify for the semi-finals, it will be because they lost against Ireland and and didn't beat Afghanistan by that much when they bowled them out for 120. That's mm. fair. And in, in the mm. Ireland game, again, I again, I don't think it's a it's a failure of team selection. I think it's a failure of in-game tactics again, though. Like they should have been flexible as they were here and, and promoted, recognising that DLS values wickets the same, if you know what I mean. So it does, so actually... You want the guys who are going to see you home. You want to get ahead of the rate and then have the guys who you can rely on not to get out to come in. So it's, it's not a team selection thing. It's a, that was a tactical thing. And, and it's fair to criticise those two for how they played in that game as well, I guess. Mm. Been a bit critical on England, so we're going to move to a, a positive. I thought towards the end of that game, when it was getting a bit nervous with five overs to go, Sam Curran was, was so good. And it reminded me of England in the 2019 World Cup when they won it games like the India one where they were just very professional towards the end Sam Curran is is totally essential to this England team now he's the guy at the death with the ball he bowls difficult overs even his over in the power play today where he got the wicket of Finn Allen he's bowling the fifth over that's kind of an over that teams tend to attack trusted with two at the end he's, he's the man really for England natural six hitter uh, yeah, launch one, one today <laughs> Uh, him at seven or eight lurking in that order, you've always got a chance. Good good hands, took an important catch and has been entrusted with this, this important gig. He always bowls the last two, it seems. He always bowls 17 and 19 or even 18 and 20. Uh, and you can only do that if you completely back yourself. And it's not just about skills, although obviously that's crucial, but it's it's having the having the the chutzpah, if you like, to know when to use them and to back yourself in in that 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 do or die moment. And he's and he's proved himself already in this side. But th- this is you forget because he still looks like a child, and because he's almost routinely underestimated. You forget he's a storied cricketer. This lad, you know, he's he's, he's had four IPLs probably behind him now. He's batted three and opened the bowling for for Chennai um, and this bloke has been around the block now so it shouldn't really surprise us that Butler backs him to do this uh, what, what is so striking about him though when he shuffles up you think you know there's not much of him he's got enough of a nip enough of zip 
but he just has that sort of intuitive understanding of of the game of cricket and he's had that since he was about 16 17 when he turned up here at the oval um yet later on you're going to talk about fathers and sons aren't you well his father was a brilliant cricketer and you know died sadly quite young kevin curran but he was a brilliant resourceful all-round charismatic cricketer and the apple's not fallen that far from the tree with those two just on Curran's experience, I think that's a really good point. Sam Curran, 24 years old, still. He's played 142 T20 matches. Chris Wokes, 33. He's played 132. So he's played fewer games than Curran in T20 cricket. Woods only played 47. And Stokes has played 154. So not that much more than Curran, despite being seven or eight years older than him. Mentioned Butler earlier. Huge, epoch-making uh, day for him, I think. Stunk the place out against Ireland. Should have directed that innings a lot better whether he was out there or not there is a sort of a murmur of that he's a bit passive perhaps tonight will may well make his his captaincy career I think he's needed runs he got them in a huge do or die game he captained brilliantly took a great catch it's his night for me just finally on this game Glenn Phillips on the losing side, but he's been one of the players at the tournament. He was so good. The fact that, that game was interesting with five overs to go was almost purely down to how he batted, striking at pretty much 200 for New Zealand in the middle. I, I love loads about Glenn Phillips. Like I, I love how fast he runs. Um, I love that he did that sprinters thing against Sri Lanka to sort of uh, uh, negotiate the, the issue of, of, of getting run out of the non-strikers end. I think I think he's a really canny thinking cricketer. I think and I, you can actually see it in his fielding that... Um, I think he's really worked out the mechanics of of diving for the ball. Like I think probably quite a lot of players you'd look and they sort of dive and slide and they tap it and they actually go quite a lot a bit further. I think he's really thought about because you see him dive so much earlier than everyone else does and else pull these restrictions. I think he's worked out exactly how far he can dive. He's so got he can... a, the dive's got to stop when you pick the ball. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, uh, and obviously he bowls weird things. He can keep wicket as well. Uh, and he was absolutely brilliant with the bat. And that was the key moment when. When he got out. Puff interview, Glenn Phillips. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I had a few questions for him and I think the interview lasted about six and a half minutes. Right. He likes, you know, fine. It's up to him if he doesn't fancy it. He likes, John, he likes John Cena. Did you ask him about that or not? I don't know who that is. Is that the wrestler man? Yeah, that's the one who more, more children know who he is than that is to Cook. Yeah, right. You know yeah. who Cook is and not John Cena. Yeah. So. Not really my areas. We had a question in from Tom who asked about Joe Root in T20 cricket. He says, I know Joe Root hasn't played much T20 cricket recently hasn't been in the England conversation for a while but with difficult pitches early on in the tournament putting a premium on wicket preservation and big boundaries meaning it's more important to pick gaps for twos and manipulate the field while hitting sixes is very high risk wouldn't England have a better chance in this tournament if he was batting at three Phil I know you you kind of agree with this what do you think yeah well I responded to to, to the lads email personally because it's something that I've thought all along, and it might, I might be being simplistic here, but I go back to certain moments in Root's career in short-form cricket. Firstly, I don't think you, you bat three average 50-plus in ODI cricket, a very decent strike rate of 80-odd, and are unable to transfer those skills into T20 cricket in the particular role that he would be assigned. I also think back to that, 80 and 40 balls against South Africa when he when it was angry Joe and he went out there and they chased down 225 to win the game with an over pretty much to spare uh you see it when he when he's allowed to play for Yorkshire or rather 
topically when he chooses to play for Yorkshire, let me say. You, you see that he's a cut above um, without any real run-in to these kinds of games of cricket. But I think the specifics of that question absolutely tap into to the challenges of playing in Australia against some top quality attacks in, on big grounds in early, in early springtime in Australia. His intelligence is untouchable in, in all cricket, I think, as a, certainly as an English player. Uh, the thing is, it's very difficult because the question is, do you want him to be flogged every available game of cricket, basically, in all three formats, thus potentially weakening England's star performer in test cricket, when the benefits are not so vast of having Root above, say, a Milan? Or do you say every game is just as important as the next? Um, and he's and he's Joe, so 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 we get him in there. I think if if he if he wasn't playing Test cricket, then I think he would be a lot closer to that side. But but they they take a view on that, and I can get it, and I can understand it. But come the big tournaments, the real big tournaments, and look, it would be it would be really harsh on Milan if they were to say thanks but no thanks. Uh, but in these games, who would you rather have at three? Well, I know who I would rather have at three. Mm. And I guess the thing with major tournaments before we go to you, Ben, is that you don't actually see that calibre of attacks in other tournaments. I know that people say in exactly. the IPL the quality is really high. It is, but Ben's made the point for, for a long time in T20 cricket that even if you have four good bowlers and you have one real weakling, lesser players can really attack that weaker player. And overall, it looks like they've done well against a decent side. But actually, there isn't that much let up against a good size at a T20 World Cup and that's just not replicated in any, any other T20 cricket really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally though, I would still have Milan ahead of him even just purely from a cricketing point of view. Just about, it's it's, it's reasonably close, especially with that tournament consideration taken into it. But I think, uh, you know, like the, it's, you see it with, with, with other players, you know, Steve Smith doesn't get into Australia's team despite being a brilliant test batter. Kane Williamson, I know, I know, you know, he, he performs a role. They're, in that they're reductive comparisons. So. No, they're, they're, they're not. I mean, I mean, you know, that, Root's a more expansive player than Williamson. Uh, and he's a more inventive player than Williamson. Sure, but and, but but Williamson fits into that New Zealand team because they don't really bat below seven, whereas England bat like so. And I think when, so, it basically comes down to Root v Milan, and I think Milan just offers you slightly more. That that in his against Africa, it was good. It was also like what six and a half years ago. Yeah, but he's um, not been allowed to play ever since, you know. Sure, and, and, and his game is even more rounded now than it's been. I mean, we even saw it in the stuff that he does play. We saw it in white clothes last summer. We saw how inventive he is. We saw that he has every shot and a few more in the book. I mean, he's he's reverse reverse scooping good bowlers over the slips for for six in the first ten minutes of a, of a of, of, of a fourth morning in a test match. He has all of that in his game. Mm-hmm. He does. Uh, but I understand why they hold him back. I get it. Uh, and I don't wish any ill will on anybody who does take that position. But for me, uh, Root at three um, would be a very, very useful player at that level. Yeah. In this I, format. And I, I think Milan is just a, a slightly better T20 well, player than Joe Root. Well, so there we go. Let, let's head to Mark Butcher. The kind of heated disagreement you come here for. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's head to Mark Butcher to hear what he thinks about how England are shaping up with just one group game to go. Mark, that was quite a nervy win for England. We talked after the Afghanistan game 10 days ago about how England might have not necessarily planned for Curran and Wood to be their death overs bowlers. But those two are becoming so key with the ball for England. Wood is bowling so quickly. Curran, two for 25-ish from four overs in a reasonably high-scoring game. And this batting-heavy side, they're as important as any other England player other than Butler, really. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to say that is 100% correct. Um, Sam Curran has just been fantastic. I mean, no, nobody seems to be able to to read his mind in the in the way that he's being able to read theirs um, at the moment. So that the variations with the slide was all the sort of stuff that we've spoken about before. He is he is being England's um, MVP right now. Um, and you know, Mark Wood very dangerous. I mean, he didn't get through his four today. And I suppose there's an argument that says that that perhaps um, Josh should have thrown him the ball. Uh, instead of the the over that that Rashid the extra over that Rashid got after um, that disastrous drop, that how bad could that have been? That <laughs> could have sent England out of the tournament. Um, Moeen's drop off or Phillips or Rash off his good mate. So yeah, I mean, it, look, I suppose in, in these circumstances, you just go as I said. I think after the first game, I think you kind of go with the guys who've got the who've got the mojo with them at the moment. Um, Wood seems to have uh, people hopping around and, and, and nobody's particularly sure about what to do with him. And, and as far as Curran's concerned, he is bowling absolutely magnificently. And it almost, it looks as though he's seen their cards, doesn't it? He's like a poker player who's got an idea what everybody's got in their hand right now. Um, and long may that continue. And Wood as well, he, his, his game plan is reasonably straightforward. Bowl 95 miles per hour on a good length. And, and what's amazing is you've got so many players with good pedigree in T20 cricket this tournament. But really, you, you just don't know if they can face 95 miles per hour bowling in the warm-up games when England played Australia. Tim David, who's had an amazing year, he, he didn't really seem like he was that comfortable against that pace. I mean, who is comfortable against that pace? And again today, um, Nishan was rushed. Even Glenn Phillips, and he was seeing it like a beach ball, he was rushed as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just because it's very difficult, you know. If, if the guy is, is accurate enough, if you're not getting width, um, you know, if, the ball, if it's not short and wide, Something that you can, without without fear of kind of losing your teeth, can can fling your hands at, or you know, half volleys on leg stump. Somebody bowling top of off stump at ninety odd miles an hour requires you to play a brilliant shot, doesn't it? I mean, it requires you to do what Coley did at, to Harris Rao, or it requires you to get down on one knee and flip it over over the keeper's head. Um, you know, it's requ- requiring you to play something that is of, of the highest quality or the highest risk. Um, you know, on pitches where the ball bounces and carries, is a, a, a fabulous asset. And then with the bat, England were very flexible with their order today. Do you think there should be more of an onus on England to go a bit harder in the first 10 with the uh, makeup of the side that they have? They're leaving so much batting to not face many balls. With New Zealand in comparison, their whole order is geared towards getting the best out of every individual. With England, it's a bit forced at the moment. They're, they're trying to cram lots of players into into an order, and it's and it's kind of working because the players are really good. But you're not really sensing that they're getting the best out of anyone in particular. Maybe but no. I, well, I don't, I disagree with you. I don't think it is working. Um, and and I and I made this point before a ball was bowled in a tournament. If you end up with too many bats, listen. Anybody that calls himself a batsman, even even in the shortest of formats, everybody likes to be able to go in and have a few a few deliveries. Um, to get themselves going because you're good enough to back yourself to get in. But what you're doing, you're asking proper batters, not guys who are coming down the order who are all rounders, people like Sam Curran are quite happy to go out there and try and fling, you know, swing the bat at the end. That's what they're used to doing. But you ask any any batter worth his salt on it's on a regular basis to go out there and try to try and hit sixes and fours from the minute they get to the crease. They don't like doing it and they're not particularly good at doing it either. And so, you know, to, for me, what what happened today was good, obviously, because England moved their resources around. They got off to the perfect start, the first 10 and whatever, and got their, got their um, better hitters 
or they're sort of you know they're better strikers i suppose to come up to come up the order but but what it illustrates was if if Darren Milan isn't going to bat if you get off to a good start and if Ben Stokes is going to end up batting down at whatever six or seven then one of them shouldn't be playing right i mean it's 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 as simple as that you can't you shouldn't be picking a side based on something that, on the worst case scenario you can go listen if if we we need everybody to be able to have their chance to get themselves in and we back them all to be able to make 50s 60s and some of them are capable of making making hundreds from you know, from nine, ten overs out. But none of them are going to be able to do that because none of them are having the time to go out there. So I would argue that it isn't working at all. However, that's not to say that it wasn't a fantastic performance and England, um, you know, Glenn Phillips aside, were very much worth their win today. But I just think they're giving themselves they're giving themselves too many things to, to, to worry about and to think about. And, you know, England teams have never been shy of moving the batting order around. This is not something, oh, wow, look, look at what they did. You know, you, you find yourself in positions in T20 games where, um, you know, the bowling that's left or the matchups that you have or the, or the dimension of the ground say that one guy is going to go in in front of another. That always happens. That's not rocket science. But England are having to do it all of the time because they find themselves with too many players, too many batters. Um, you know, and on, on the and on the evidence of today, you would say, I think at the beginning, again, before a ball was bowled, I said one of the three left-handers ought to probably miss out, allowing England to bring in another specialist bowler um and 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 you know to, they would still have the resources that they need they had the resources they needed in pakistan and that, that seven match series and they still would have done today and and so for me moen ali is kind of moen ali plays and so it was between stokes and milan now milan batted for one one delivery and he doesn't bowl and he doesn't field in any of the hot spots so at the moment you look at it and go out of the two that you that you think is surplus to requirements though milan is the one mm. um and, and that I don't, I don't think that has changed. Nothing that's happened in the tournament so far has made me think that 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 line of thinking is uh, is incorrect. Mm. It's interesting because in the last World Cup, when they lost to New Zealand in the semi-final, they played the extra batter. Sam Bellings was down to bat at seven, and I don't think he came in, so he essentially TFC'd. Uh, and then in Butler's first few months as captain, he preferred to have a bowling heavy side rather than a batting heavy side I guess it all comes back to Stokes and his reintroduction to the team they've changed the dynamic of the side to fit him in and it's yeah we can disagree or agree on whether it's working at the moment well I, but I, don't, I, don't, I just don't I don't think it worked today I really don't because as I, and I go back to the, the very beginning of what I what I said there is that England only made 50 in the last five overs 54 I think in the last five and they had all of that batting to come. But as I said, they're all they're all batters. They're all batters. They're all people who regard themselves as, as proper players. And all proper players would, would prefer to have the luxury of maybe three, four, five deliveries to kind of work out what's going on out there before they come in and, and have to and have to go large. And then they're all capable of doing it. However, in the situation they're finding themselves at the moment, because there is so little time left as they get to the crease, none of them have the luck, have the chance to do that. And therefore, they're not as good, they're not as effective as players as they might be. And New Zealand got out of jail. You know, England should have made 190 probably today. Mm. Um, but in the end, you know, th those guys weren't able to kind of to come off at the back end of the, of the thing. But look, it doesn't matter. They will, they will without any question, go in with probably the same side in the next. Although, although it might have given them pause for thought today. And Darren Milan mm. might find himself out of it. Um, you know, give them a chance to, to to bring Chris Jordan in, give themselves yet another option with the ball. Somebody who's a brilliant fielder, 
somebody who's also, you know, not no slouch with the bat. They've still got 10 batters in the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, ju- it just, what it, what it might do is just give, it, it gives the, gives those batters coming in at numbers four, five, and six. It might give them a little bit more time to do their thing as opposed to coming in, in the, in the sloggers positions and not really knowing what to do there. There's no way England will actually do this, but I kind of wonder if Phil Salt would have suited this England middle order more than Alex Hales does, just as he, cause he's someone who goes for it properly hard from over one. Hales is probably a more complete T20 player. He's got a good record in Australia, obviously did well today, but he does take his time a little bit more than Salt does. So you get into a position like today where you are 80 for none after 10 overs, which is kind of fine, but also it leaves a lot to be done in the second half of the innings with not much time for players to get in. Yeah, well, although although Hales kind of got, got off to the flyer today, didn't he? Um, still, I still took him like four or five overs to really get into it, though. But I, but I don't. But I wouldn't point at that as being an issue. I'd point at what happens underneath that as, as the as the major as the major um, sticking point. Mm. But you know, England are still alive. They're, they're kind of. I think that they're muddling their way through a little bit and, and as they go along and as you put in a performance like that all of a sudden things become a little bit clearer and you're able to go on to the next game with with slightly more of an idea of, of exactly what it is that you want because I still don't feel as though they've got exactly what it is they want out there um, you know Joss has lots of options with the ball uh, you know Livingston was unlucky today Moeen only bowled the one over because of, of the only the one left-hander there at the top and bowled it magnificently um, so England have enormous amount of options with well, Chris Wokes even at the end apart from the very final ball of his spell um, you know bowled, bowled quite magnificently at the, the back end but England's star man at the moment great to see Josh get some runs because that will give him confidence as a captain and his decision making and all the rest of it but um, but Sam Curran is, uh, is, is the man right now mm. and finally do you think England even though they haven't quite worked everything out at the moment how, how do you think they're shaping up We've seen a lot of the other teams so far. Uh, India, they're flawed. Safka, top of the other group. They've got problems themselves at the top of the order. Pakistan, possibly out of it. Australia, possibly out of it if England beats Sri Lanka. So there's no real stand outside. So this flawed England team actually might have a pretty good shot of winning the thing. Well, I, I've thought that from the start, just just simply because they've got, they got so many players who are capable of, capable of doing extraordinary things. I just, I just think at the moment, they're not quite giving them they're not quite giving them the, the, enough of a chance to kind of to prove it, but I, you're still terrified. I think you're still terrified looking at England's lineup, um, thinking that on on the day that they click, you just hope that it's not you that's on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I have no I, listen. That New Zealand are dangerous. South Africa are very dangerous. Um, you know, even Australia on their day can be. Da- you know, they, they, them going out would be tre- tremendous. I think New Zealand could end up ruining the fact that they could have put England out today. I think that was a, a, a massive reason for them to kind of put in their in their best show of the of the tournament because putting England out lights up the way for yourselves to uh, to to go through and, and win the whole thing. So um lots of teams not least Australia, very upset about the results today. England-New Zealand wasn't the only game of the day. Sri Lanka beat Afghanistan, who are playing their first game in 10 days because of all the rain. They encountered a six-wicket win for Sri Lanka. They chased down 145 relatively comfortably. Uh, the result means that Afghanistan are officially out of the tournament. Ben, 4 for 13 for Winindu Hasaranga, despite getting pumped against Australia, his overall T20 World Cup record and his record at this T20 World Cup are both ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he's well on track to be the leading wicket taker 
in this tournament, having been leading wicket taker last time. That's helped by him playing in the first round, but you know, lots of bowlers play in the first round and the second <laughs> round, and he's the one that, that really stands out. Uh, yeah, he so he takes a wicket more frequently than once every two overs. He's taking on average more than two weeks a game and he's going well under a run of ball. So, so he's averaging like two for 20 or four. Yeah, basically. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's and also he, he can he can bat and he can field. He's a, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, a, a quite brilliant T20 cricketer. And, uh, and you know, Shrenka still have a sniff of a chance, I guess. I guess they'll know going into that last day if they do or not. But if, it's funny because England will almost be hoping for uh, Australia to lose perhaps because they don't have to rely on net run rate but that would open the door for Sri Lanka to really be motivated if they beat England because that would get them into the, the semi-finals so let's get on to the net run rate situation then so England are in a better position than Australia but it is possible that England win and still go out uh, yes Australia would need a very very big win against Afghanistan how big are we talking uh, so to have any sort of chance they would need to win by at least 50 52 runs or chase down a total inside about 14 overs and in that case uh weirdly if that happened their net run rate would be below where england's is now but if england beat sri lanka by if they score 160 and defend keep sri lanka to 159 then it run rate would drop below where australia's would be so that's kind of thing we're talking and then it's sort of like every extra run australia score is an extra run England would have to score if that makes sense. Just okay. it, does, it doesn't quite work out exactly like that, but that's not far s- off. sort of the way to think about okay. it, I guess. And just well, England have to win that game for net run rate to come into it, and Australia need to beat Afghanistan. Do you see Sri Lanka pushing England? They, they obviously won the Asia Cup about a month ago. Yeah, I mean they're a very good team, and 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 any team can beat any other on their day in this tournament, as we've as we've seen uh, so far. So I mean, yeah, I, I I could I could actually quite easily see England going into it knowing that any sort of win would do it, and then accidentally slipping up sort of like breathing a sigh of relief when Australia just squeak over line by 20 runs or so and then being like oh wait <laughs> we've got a game to win and then they don't sort of thing that would be quite an English thing to happen I think and a great story as well Chris Silverwood Sri Lanka knocking England out of the World Cup as well I think England's England's variety and versatility in their side is is the best in the World Cup I th- I've been saying it all all along I, th- I think they're by a nose the strongest side ahead of just ahead of India I think New Zealand have got a good side as well and um, no, no team has ever in a Cricket World Cup just ambled happily, merrily along to the final and then won it. Maybe one Australia, or two Australia yeah. sides. Yeah, okay, <laughs> as soon as I say it. Yeah, take, but, but, take, without, but genuinely, but, without them, few, few have just kind of had, yeah, had I mean, England yeah. 2019, for example, lost yeah. three games and then knocked out in the group stages. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so it's, 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 it's commonplace for a side to, to sail close to the wind and... Um, I think England are right in the guts of this, personally. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I, th- I agree that they're the best team in the tournament, just about. But with these, you know, it's a weird format. Uh, it's a shortened thing. There's no guarantee you'll even make it to the... Yeah, and, and rain as well. You know? mm, yeah, rain. <laughs> just on, um, I feel that you mentioned before that we started recording what the conditions going to be like. There's not been a game at Adelaide yet where Australia are playing Afghanistan. But I think as Abhishek has mentioned in the pod before, Adelaide is essentially Rashi Khan's home ground. He plays more Adelaide than any Australian cricketer will play at any ground in Australia because of his big bash history. But then England are playing uh, at Sydney, which has been a pretty high-scoring venue. And you kind of think with England, the more high-scoring a venue, the better place they are. They've been a few scores of over 200. New Zealand scored 200 against Australia at Sydney. It's not quite as big a ground either than the SCG. So that will play into England's hands, you would think. And Ben, just on Afghanistan briefly... 
obviously a very frustrating tournament for them. They've they've not played that much. But even though they've got those massive name players like Rashi Khan and Majib, they're still very much in that third tier of T20 nations. And it doesn't really look like they're getting that much better in the last two years. You, if you've got like England, Australia, India, South Africa, New Zealand, Pakistan, that top tier, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, West Indies, Afghanistan are still probably below that. They're not every tournament everyone says, oh, they'll beat one of the big teams and, and cause an upset. They've come close to that, but two World Cups in two years, they still aren't they still aren't as close as to maybe at the top that we might have thought two years ago. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'd say they're, they're better than Bangladesh uh, yeah, as possibly. well as the T20 side. Uh, but yeah, they are. A, and, and, and I think there were flickers in their Asia Cup campaign that you thought they might have a, a good tournament. But I guess these conditions arguably don't suit and they also don't help themselves at the time. They had a, a, a comedy run out, which is well This is brilliant. This is game. absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, so Gulbadi Naib was sort of sent back going for the second uh turns and slips which is you know fairly customary drops his bat and then for some reason decides to sort of like try and roly poly back into his crease <laughs> so <laughs> i haven't seen and then, this. And then uh, yeah, this it's, it's really great uh but but yeah they'll, they'll i mean you know they'll be disappointed because they barely got on the park but they'll also feel that when they did uh they didn't do themselves justice i, I think when you see nascent cricket teams come through it's always harder to develop batters than bowlers you saw it with Zimbabwe in particular in the in the in the 90s in, in one day cricket uh and you're seeing it i think here with 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 Afghanistan you you can you can be a raw quick and come from nowhere and you can be a, a streetwise finger spinner or wrist spinner and you can come from nowhere and you can have raw ability with the bat and come from nowhere but to become a player where you're churning out runs in all conditions you need you need a you need a lot of cultural backing and you need a, a lot of practical support from the establishment right now how many with the exception of monabi how many how many sort of batter heavy cricketers from afghanistan have been given a gig in english domestic cricket or australian domestic cricket uh maybe one or two in in the bpl and the the pakistan Super League as well, but very, very few. And so how can you really be expected to go from being raw, un untrammeled, interesting, to a seasoned pro who can churn it out week after week? It's very, very difficult. And Australian conditions are probably as alien as you're going to get with the extra that's pace it. and bounce. Um, well, that's enough T20 World Cup chat for now. Next up, a look at some of the other cricket that's going on in the world. One story that caught my eye this week was an interview the Telegraph's Tim Wigmore did with the Cricket Scotland chair Anjan Luthra. Luthra is a young, by all accounts, successful businessman who played youth cricket in Scotland. He spoke about how he wasn't surprised by the racism that the report into racism in Scottish cricket shone a light on, but was surprised at the extent of the problem. He also talked about his desire to see Scotland represented in the T20 blast as soon as 2024 he said that would be amazing number one priority in integration in english domestic cricket would be the t20 blast given we know how to play t20 cricket having just beaten a full member that would be the best option for scottish cricket given that we are likely to be playing in multiple t20 world cups over the coming years so playing consistent cricket in the same format is important it would do wonders for scottish cricket it would really raise our profile and it would give them good exposure so of course i have the dream and ambition of being in all three competitions, English domestic competitions, but I need to have a conversation with the ECB first. If the ECB are obstructive 
to that idea, then it would be seriously dispiriting. I think that there is that standoffish relationship between the ECB and the Scottish authorities and the Irish authorities as well. But the ECB needs to see see itself as the glue that binds these offshoot areas of, of UK cricket and British cricket and bring them in as much as possible. It's a really, really good idea. It's, it's a staring you in the face good idea, I think. Um, and it would give the punters in Scotland who may or may not have a developing relationship with the game, it would give them something to really get their teeth into. And obviously for the emergent players, it would be great to be able to play on that kind of stage. It's, it's an obvious win for me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good idea. I think it's uh, there's definitely an audience there in Scotland. I think there are more people who are into cricket in Scotland than people in England think. So in terms of getting fans through the gates and stuff like that, that's absolutely fine. Not worried about that. I think it's an awkward position for individual players. So you have four or five Scottish players at the moment who play county cricket. So what happens to them? Do they still play for their counties? And if not, then that Scotland side's probably not going to be that strong because then you're literally left with players who counties have currently not thought are worth county deals if that makes sense and then if you're an amb- if you're being really ambitious of Scotland does this potentially undermine your progress if you've just beaten West Indies for example so, and so you beat Bangladesh last year right playing a, a Grace Road whatever is, is that really the next step in your progression as a sure. country so so on a certain level Scotland against Derbyshire doesn't sound right but surely the pros of being in the mix outweigh the cons of uh, optics. Perhaps it needs, perhaps you would, I don't know, perhaps it, it's, 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 it's the Edinburgh somethings. I don't know. For, for, for me, the middle ground would be a, a Scottish team in the 100. I think that would be a... That'd be quite fun. Then you could call it the Edinburgh Academicals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess. I guess the other thing as well. I don't know if if, if there are a choice between uh, that Scot- Scotland participation in county cricket or a, a annual Four Nations tournament between Ireland, England, Scotland, Netherlands, which would be better? Which would be a better TV product? Which would be better for development? I don't. I don't know. But um, I could imagine. I could. It's hard to see them being able to have both. I guess. Oh, I mean, although neither seem that likely right now. So. Yeah, I guess the context uh, of that is that Scotland only played two T20Is between World Cups. Right. So the problem is they're just not playing cricket. So if okay. you're not one of those guys who's got a county con- contract, what is a cricket you're playing? It's essentially club cricket. Yeah, um, yeah. And that that needs to be addressed. You've seen they're too good a side to be treated like a like an addendum, like a club side. Yeah, and, ju- and just one thing, just because if, I guess if, you're, if they are looking to pursue full membership and are comparing themselves to the Ireland model, I suppose. Ireland, I think there were fears when they took on full membership, which meant that it was harder for their players to get county contracts, that that would hamper the development of some of their players. And that might have been true for a couple of years, but you're now seeing players who are just products of Irish domestic cricket, the likes of Lorcan Tucker, Terry Tector, Josh Little. These aren't guys who have played a huge amount of county cricket to sort of cut their teeth. These are guys that are uh, maybe taking a little bit of time to, to get to it, but they're not at all unable to adapt to international cricket. Elsewhere, India named loads of squads yesterday for upcoming white ball series against New Zealand and Bangladesh and a test series against Bangladesh as well. We're on a diet of T20s at the moment, but we've got a bumper month of tests coming up soon. So England, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, West Indies, Australia, Australia, South Africa, and a Zimbabwe, Afghanistan test. Pakistan plays New Zealand straight after the, the England, Pakistan series as well. So there's absolutely loads. Um, ben, on the India squad, the most eye-catching omission from all of the squads was that of Prithvi Shaw. Uh, with the amount of cricket India play, 
pretty much everyone who does all right in the IPL gets in some kind of squad, except for Shaw. Can you explain uh, just how weird it is that he doesn't get a gig at all for India? Yeah, well, it's it's baffling from loads of points of view because, um, look, you, you might get a guy who has these sorts of n- numbers that he has, which we'll come on to, but it sort of hasn't been seen as a prospect. They want him to, you know, go and prove himself for, for as long as possible. But Shaw, all the way up, was seen as as the next big thing at one stage. You know, he was the next Sachin at the age of 14. He hits this quintuple century in schools cricket that overtakes the record that Sachin has. He Test ca- 118. Exactly. He <laughs> captains India to an 19 World Cup title in which he is brilliant. Uh, yeah, a Test 118. And then he's, he's only played six times in international cricket and he's now, what, nearly 23? Which, no, it's not, he's not like as if he's, it, he's too old to come again, but it's just... And it's not even as if he's done badly in that time. And yeah, 100 on, was it Test debut on his second test? Uh, he was actually, he was good in that New Zealand series that uh, India lost. Plays one test in Australia. Hasn't been seen again in test cricket. In ODIs, he's batted six times. The average is just over 30, striking at nearly 115. That's good. And his domestic numbers are absolutely absurd. Uh, okay, in first class cricket, he's averaging 50, striking at 83. In list A cricket, he's averaging 56, striking at 125. And Sorry, not- 56 and 125? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he's, he's got a double 100 in list day cricket. He's, he's phenomenal. And, and in, in T20 cricket, he's basically the only India opener who bats in that sort of aggressive ball one taking on approach that would really fit in with that current uh, method play they've got. He averages in the last season about 30 in the IPL, but it's striking like 155. He absolutely dominates the power play in a way that I actually think would really benefit Robert Sharma to bat alongside because he does like to take a bit more time. I mean, he's been, uh, he's not, he's got hold of India's new approach of attacking from ball one, but it doesn't quite suit him and that would really suit them. And you look at, you know, they've picked what, not not to single someone out, but someone like Rajat Patadar, who's 29, averages less than 35 in this day cricket. How are you picking this guy ahead of Prithvi Shaw? It's absolutely baffling. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I guess it's interesting that they they just pick so many players in their squads. I was looking up the other day, uh, what's the most number of, players a country has picked across formats in one year so I thought India this year might be up there and they've 40 people to play for the Indian men's side this year uh, England last England this year you've looked all this up haven't you England 49 people have played for the England men's side this year 49 in 2022 2022 yeah which is more than uh, the, the two more COVID years uh, but the record Ben you looked up was West Indies oh, yeah, was like six years ago yeah 55 players um which is pretty Someone's good going. Do it. <laughs> yes. And on I, way- uh, you know, I think I've re- realised why that was actually. I think they must have toured Pakistan that year. And so lots of players chose to sat- that was sit when out they of took that their, their B team. So that's, that's yeah. why that happened. Right. Floyd yeah. Reefer was the skipper. No, yeah. I think that's another... No, sorry, that, that's that, was, that was like 2009 Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that was when there was... Uh, <laughs> what the year did you say it was? 2016, I think. Oh, okay. That was when there were the strikes, effectively. Yeah. Um, gotcha. And on West Indies, Tegenarine Chanderpol, the 26-year-old son of Shivnarine, has been called up to the West Indies test squad for the first time for their tour of Australia that's coming up soon. He averages about 35 with a bat in first-class cricket, but recently has done really, really well. He averages something ridiculous, like 150 in first-class cricket this year. I was kind of thinking of who are the, who are the great standout father-son duos in international cricket. The best I've got is Hanif and Shoaib Mohammed. Both of them played loads for Pakistan and doing really well, both averaging more than 40 of the bat. I met Shoaib Mohammed once as an 11-year-old. Yeah? Yeah. What was Him and two other Pakistani tour members of the tour party were guests of uh, a rich teammate of mine, whose father was a Harley Street doctor and friend to the stars. And we had our end of season do 
and three Pakistani players in their Pakistani blazers turn up in the back garden to present <laughs> us with our awards. Different and one times. of them was Shahid Mohammed. Um, that's a good one. Uh, the the Armanath, um father-son, Lala Armanath, first ever 100 for India uh, in Test cricket. And his boy, Mahinda Armanath, who had a really interesting story. I was reading about him a few days ago, weirdly enough, uh, for the magazine. Um, and uh, he had an issue with short bowling, got sconed by Imran in the mid to late 70s in a test match, knocked unconscious, and then was hit by Richard Hadley, missed a number of months of cricket, and then came back, uh, worked so hard on his game that he became a sort of expert against short pitch bowling and made 500s in 11 away test matches against the West Indies and Pakistan in the early 80s when they were shit hot. And he became India's most courageous trailblazing batter him and Sunil Gavaskar changed the complexion of Indian Indian batsmanship um, and it, it was driven by his weakness as a younger lad against the quicks that's a good story there you go so uh, those two the uh, butchers Sean, Sean, get him in Sean and Peter Pollock um, yeah yeah, Sean, good. obviously, yeah. brilliant. Peter Pollock was their best fast bowler during the best bowler during the 60s I yeah, guess that's good Chris Broad and Stuart Broad. Obviously, Stuart Broad far more established, but Chris Broad was a key batter in an overseas Ashes win. He was international plenty. player of the year. There you go. Uh, 300s in a, in, in a single Ashes series. You can't argue with those two either. Mm. And Ben, you were saying that Shiv Narayan and... He's moved on. To get Narayan what about Alan Elam and Mark Elam? We're just getting going here. <laughs> well, Fine. We can, we, we're not going to list out every single one. I'm more um, than happy to. <laughs> um, ben, you were saying quiz, that, I imagine. <laughs> ben, you were saying that Shiv Narayan and Tegenarayan actually batted together in first-class cricket and, and Shiv Narayan ran his son out. Uh, yes, well, I, I, I was actually trying to work out if they had batted together in first cricket, if they just played together. But in a, in a List A game, they, uh, they batted together. And uh, yeah, uh, Chanda, uh, Sh- yeah Sh- Shiv Narayan uh, nails a straight drive, which uh, flicks the bowler on the way through to the... Uh, the non-strikers end stumps and runs out, uh, runs out his son, which That's is brutal. brilliant. Yeah. That is brilliant. I didn't know that. Uh, and finally, we've not really done moments a week this week, but mine would be the jeweled Brevis knock yesterday. One of the great T20 innings, Ben. We watched it in the office. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, it's one of those where you are, uh, you're just sort of flicking through the scorecards on cricket for. I don't know if other people are doing this, but um, <laughs> and yet and something catches your eye, and it, it was when he was just past 100 off 35 balls, and he was actually had ages left. And that Chris Gale's record of 175 as the highest ever to get score was very much in danger. Uh, he was starved of the strike a bit towards the end, but ended up um, uh, at, what, 13 runs short? A very, very good effort. He was caught um, three balls in a row. He yeah, was caught off a no great. ball, caught off a free hit, and then actually out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see, I mean, obviously we've we've seen hints of it. I mean, I think, I think it, what, five, six is an IPL over it, that brilliant under-19 World Cup campaign. And this, you know, it's not, this isn't the new South Africa T20 competition, it's worth saying. This is the... Um, the, the lower level, I guess, the equivalent of, of the blast, sort of, but with, with fewer overseas players. Um, but you can still see why he's so highly rated. There is that it's the obvious comparison, but there is so much of A.B. de Villiers in terms of the way he accesses different areas of the ground. He gets with, so low, so he can hit like a full toss anywhere. Yeah, it's just, and it's essentially the same technique to do all of it in a way. Mm. And and you see his head stays so still over the ball, like often looking down and only looking up once it's gone. A long way back which is what AB used to do as well uh, and then to cap it all off uh, he took a brilliant catch on the boundary where it was uh, out towards him he catch it on the rope flings it back into play and then dives in himself to to take it so yeah he's he's quite special um, and yeah whoever South Africa's openers are 
must be pretty good if they're giving him out the side in T20 cricket. I see what well you've done, done well there, done, Ben. Well done. Anyway, that is all we have time for today. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for listening, folks. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review on Spotify or the podcast app. We'll be back tomorrow for our latest daily show. Podcast Network.